tonight, take your Bibles to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, that was a beautiful song. It's very well done. And I'm so thankful for the message of it. So thankful for the love of God in my life. My daughter has been asking me lately, Daddy, what's your favorite song? She likes to ask me what my favorite color is, what my favorite song is. And, and her favorite song is uh, the alphabet song. She loves ABCs. It's one of the only ones she knows. But when she asks me my favorite song, I always tell her, The Love of God. I just love songs about God's love for me. I don't understand it. Sure don't deserve it, but I'm so thankful for it. Luke chapter number 23, uh, this morning, now many of you came expecting to hear preacher, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, you got the B team this morning. Uh, while we may not have the uh, preferred preacher this morning, God does not change, and His book does not change, and while preaching styles and uh, voices and slight voice cracks and slight fun, not funny jokes that I may say may come across, our God is good and He's always mighty. And I'm so thankful that He's allowed me to stand and preach His Word this morning. Luke chapter number 23. I want to draw your attention to verse number 39. And I believe if you'll pay attention this morning, while you're very familiar with the story that we will kind of read from, I believe you may learn a few things that you weren't aware of beforehand. Verse number 39 of Luke chapter 23, the Bible says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd please help us now as we have chosen a very solemn portion of Scripture to read from and to study and to learn from. Father, I ask that you direct me and guide me. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would arrest the attention of every heart in the room so that your word might be able to uh, penetrate each heart and speak to them as is necessary. Father, I trust you in this time, for Lord, I am very inadequate to perform the function for which you've called me to do. Lord, I ask that you do this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The cross stands as the dividing point in mankind's history. You see, even in our calendar, the cross represents the time when time started, stopped counting down to the time when time started counting up. You see, B.C. stands before Christ, and A.D. represents the time after our Lord's death. Even on our calendar, the cross represents a turning point in the history of mankind. But on both sides of the cross, there represents so many more things than just a change in the way that we count our days. You see, on one side of the cross represents the Old Testament and all the animal sacrifice that went along with it. And on the other side of the cross represents the New Testament and the blood of 
Christ, which was shed once and for all for all mankind. On one side represents Moses and the commandments which God had given him and and the fact that men would have to try doing and doing and doing to get to heaven. And on the other side of the cross represents the fact that Christ had already done everything and gave grace freely to all mankind. On one side of the cross represents a foretold Messiah started back in Genesis chapter 3.15 and includes passages in Isaiah and Psalms and almost every single Old Testament book. talks about a Messiah who would eventually come. But on the other side of the cross represents a Messiah who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What side of the cross you're on matters a great deal in life. I remember a while back, we, for our senior trip, chose to go to Branson, Missouri. And we were excited because we were just going to go and hang out. And, and you say, what were seniors going to do uh, in Branson? That's usually a senior place. So don't worry about it. We, we were going to just have fun. And, and my senior class chose to go there. Really, the reason was because we were too cheap and we didn't want to fundraise to get to cool places. So we went to Branson. It was amazing. One of the events that we did there is we went to Dixie Stampede. How many of you know Dixie Stampede, what that is? It's, it's a very unique event. Uh, it's a lot of fun to go to. It's kind of a supper and a show, and they show you all these horse races, and, and, and it's kind of set up in a Civil War era type deal where there's a north side and a south side. The Yankees versus the Confederates. And I didn't really realize going in there uh, uh, what was going on. And I didn't know that there was one side of the arena which represented the north and one side of the arena which represented the south. But somehow, as I get seated, I realize I'm on the Yankee side. And I said, you mean to tell me I paid for Yankee seats? I was sitting there and all these people and I kind of thought to myself, wait, 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 wait. This is a competition between people who will be racing horses, racing animals, shooting guns, and having to work together. And I'm on the Yankee team? I think I'd much prefer to be on the south side in that regard. But you see, while being at the Dixie Stampede doesn't really matter what side you're on, and I'm thankful to say that day that the Yankees did win, and the next time I went, the Confederates won. So I've been on both sides, and and that really doesn't matter. But the side of the cross you're on does matter. And I remind you, in the Bible we're told of two men hung on either side of our Lord Jesus that day. Jesus hung on the middle cross and there on the right stood uh, one thief being crucified and there on the left stood another thief being crucified. Uh, Now, the Bible never tells us which thief is on the right side. In other words, we don't know whether the thief that hung on the cross and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. We don't know if he was on the right side or, or we don't know if he was on the left side. But I do believe that we can ascertain this morning that... The man who accepted Christ before he died was on the right side of the cross, and the man who uh, uh, denied our Lord and mocked our Lord was on the wrong side of the cross. Whether there's a right side or a left side, there is a right side and a wrong side. And I want to take the Bible this morning and teach you three lessons that we learn 
from the right side of the cross. First of all, I want to show you this. There is no person too bad. There is no person too bad. I want to direct your attention to the Bible. Verse number 40 talks about thieves and, and these men that were hung there. The Bible calls them uh, malefactors there in verse 39. But I want to ask you to take your Bible to Matthew chapter 27. And I want to learn even more about these men than what Luke tells us about them. Matthew chapter number 27. See, at Calvary, we learn that there is no person too bad. Well, how do we learn that? Well, because Matthew chapter 27 tells us in verse number 44 of the bad deeds this man had committed. Verse 44 tells us specifically what these men had done to earn their place there by Jesus. The Bible says, the thieves also. Oh, they were thieves. But... In the Greek language, there are two different words used to describe a thief. Okay, one of these words is kleptes. That, that is a word that means to steal uh, by fraud or in secret. Okay, so this is the same word we get our uh, word kleptomaniac from, okay? So what it is, is someone who uh, steals without committing any type of violent act. This is a person who sees a $20 bill over here, maybe in a gym somewhere, and while the other fellow's working out, they take it and run, but commit no violence. But the other word in the Greek language is the word found here in this passage, and that word is lestes. And that word means to steal or to rob with an open act of violence. You say, well, I'm kind of getting bogged down in all this Greek language. I don't blame you. I got bogged down in it two semesters, and I changed my major because of it, amen? But uh, <laughs> I do know this, that in the Bible, many, many times, the Bible uses the first word, the word that means to steal without any violence. But there are a few occasions when the Bible uses the other word to describe the men in the passage. One of those times is this. How many of you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And that Good Samaritan, he uh, came upon a man that had been beaten and robbed, and the men left him for dead. The Bible actually says he laid there half dead. Now, I don't want to get close to half dead. I don't know what half dead is. I don't know what that represents. But I know it's half being alive and half being dead. I don't want any part of that. So this man laying there half dead, but the thieves in that passage is the word here in our passage to beat in order to rob. Uh, yesterday I was reading a, a story, a news story, about a man who was at large right now uh, going into gas stations and, and stealing from them. But it was different than just, hey, give me the money in the counter. This man intentionally went in with the purpose to hurt the attendant behind the counter. Uh, he hasn't shot anybody and he hasn't stabbed anybody. But the other day he walked into a gas station, there was a young woman behind the counter. Instead of asking her to open the uh, 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 cash drawer there, he handed her a dollar to pay for something. She opened the cash drawer. The man jumped over the counter and just began to beat her. Well, that little lady, she, did, she couldn't defend herself. She didn't have anything. But even the police chief said, if we don't catch this man, somebody is going to get very hurt because he goes in with the intent to hurt these people. 
That's the kind of man that's on the cross. It's not somebody that just steals to survive. It's somebody who steals with an intent to hurt. And this guy had a string of bad deeds that laid him on this cross this, uh, in the Bible, but he also had a string of bad decisions. Notice this. Uh, this is very important. Uh, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, we'll start reading at verse 41 so you understand what's going on. Likewise, also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe. Now this is the chief priest and all the religious hierarchy that put him on the cross there. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. Uh, For he said, I am the Son of God. Now notice this in verse 44. Don't miss this. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. That phrase there means to join into the rebuke that was being given. Oh, we have Luke's story, do we not? And that's the one often we recall. The man who is hanging on the cross by Jesus and others were mocking, but he says, what are you doing? Don't make fun of him. That's the one we recall. But this passage of Scripture tells us that at the onset of all the mockery, at the beginning of everybody making fun of our Savior, both men on the cross were doing it. Both men, both the thief on the right and the thief on the left, were mocking our Savior. So let me ask you, this is where my mind goes. What changed? If at the beginning of hanging on the cross there, he was joining into the rebuke and the chastisement that everybody else was giving him, what changed to make him be the man to stand up for Jesus? This is the only thing that I can assume. you got to put yourself in this man's place. No doubt in his life he had asked for forgiveness at the deliberation of his sentencing. Right? When he's standing there and maybe this man hurt somebody, there's potential that this man actually killed to steal from people. And there he is at the sentencing trial. There's the judge. There's the jury. And he's looking at them. He knows he's guilty. They know he's guilty. And he probably at some point would have stood up to say, Hey, look, I'm so sorry. I got caught. I'm sorry. I don't want to die for this. Man, I made a mistake. But if we've learned one thing in life, it's what? Consequences follow actions. And now this man is, is rightly and justly paying for his decisions. And now he's just kind of joining into the crowd, mocking everybody, making fun of, uh, 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 of Jesus because everybody else is doing it. But Jesus kind of handles it much differently than he's ever seen. He's probably never experienced a real type of forgiveness. And here Jesus is hanging on the cross, people mocking Him and jeering and, 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 and making fun of Him. And both men on either side of Jesus are doing the same. 
And there Jesus is. And this is the words that this man must have heard. Father, forgive them. Can you imagine in this man's mind what must have been taking place? He probably said to himself, wait. I asked for forgiveness and I have never received it. And yet these people aren't even asking for it and this man is giving it. The one thing that we learn at Calvary is that there is no person who's made too many bad decisions or collected too many bad deeds for the amazing love and forgiveness of our Savior to cover them. The Bible puts it like this, where sin did abound, where it grew and where it sprung up, where sin did abound, their grace did much more abound, the Bible says. I don't care who you are this morning, if you're at the right side of Calvary, you've got to look into the loving eyes of His Savior who's being tormented and chastised for all the sins of the world. And He looks at you, and whether or not you're asking for it, He looks at every man at the foot of Calvary and says, Father, forgive them. Boy, there's no person that's ever come to Calvary that's been turned away. Not one person that's ever asked for forgiveness and Jesus had to say, oh, you've done too much bad. Oh, there's no way this could work. Uh, My blood doesn't cover that type of multitude of transgressions. The Bible says that no man comes to Calvary except they turn away and realize that they have been forgiven Cleanse. The Bible says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be made clean as wool, the Bible says. My friend, if you're today reasoning in your mind that you're not good enough, for you can never come to Calvary and admit all the bad things you've done, Jesus looks at you and says, my blood will cleanse any sinner that comes. Boy, one thing we learn at the right side of Calvary is there's never anyone too bad for Calvary to save. Secondly, we learn this. There is no point in life that is too late. Take your Bible back to Luke chapter number 23 where we were to begin our Scripture reading this morning. As we've learned, no doubt, through many sermons or Sunday school lessons, every breath on a crucifixion cross would have been painstakingly difficult. Most men that died on a cross did not die because of blood loss, did not die because of excruciating levels of pain, although both of those things were factors. The reason most men died on Calvary or or on a cross, was because they suffocated. Many of them would have been beat, probably, well, certainly not to the extent of Jesus. But many of them would have been hanging there, whether they were tied onto the cross or whether they were nailed onto the cross, and just gravity alone would shut off their lungs from breathing. As they had their hands high above their hand, uh, hands above their head, they would have to basically put all of their weight on their feet and on their ankles and and lift themselves up just to take the pressure off of their lungs to expand their lungs and take one simple breath. It's been said that 
uh, Jesus would have been hung on the cross at nine and, and taken off about three. I don't know exactly how long that uh, Jesus would have been on the cross and how long He would have been alive at that point. But I know that it was a long and torturous event to be crucified. And this man, as he hangs on the right side of Jesus there, every breath is a battle. And instead of thinking, well, I can freely speak my mind, no, if he spoke words, he was taking off seconds from his life. And now he looks at this man who's mocking Jesus, and all of these concepts of forgiveness and and this Jesus, the King of the Jews, all of this is flooding his mind and the emotion of his eventual death is just overtaking the reality of life for this man. And there he is battling for every single breath. And the Bible almost paints a picture as all of these men are coming down to the last few moments. The battle in this man's mind of, what if I asked? What if I asked Him to save me or to remember me? Or what if I just went that far? You see, this man didn't have tomorrow. This man had a few moments in time. And I'm so thankful to tell you, as the Bible tells us, this man got enough courage and enough strength to just finally come up upon the nails to relieve the pressure, take a big breath in, and he mustered the statement, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's an amazing thing that Jesus, at this point in this man's life, was willing to give him entrance into eternal life. But the overwhelming lesson of it is this, that there is never a time in your life where it's too late to trust the Savior. You see, some may say, well, I've just, I've, I've put it off this long and it's people look at me and they respect me and I believe this. In a Baptist church this morning, there are members all over this room who are not blood-bought Christians. You're blood-taught Christians. And you know all about the Bible, and you know all about the things that it says, you know all about faith, and you know all about grace, but you know nothing about loving kindness displayed upon the life of a, of a redeemed child. And maybe even in sermons like the one I'm preaching this morning, your mind has said, no, I am a Christian. I know. I remember the tile that I was saved on. I remember the place. I remember the preacher that came over when I was six years old. And you've relied on a time and not the Savior. Did you know it's never too late to get it right? Did you know it's never too late to finally look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been living a lie. Jesus, I, I, I don't know what I've been doing. I've been playing the game. I've been, I've been charading it all along. But Jesus, I want to finally accept you as my only means for eternal life. Did you know it's never too late? A few weeks ago, Miss uh, Cindy Timmons called my dad and and she wanted him to go over and see her grandmother, who was terminally ill. Preacher went over to this, young, uh, this lady's house and, and began to share with her the Scriptures. This lady 
had maybe a couple weeks at the most to live. Preacher went through the passages, went through the Romans road, as if this woman had never heard it before, as if he was witnessing to a bus kid. Made it as simple as he could, but explained as much as he could. That day, that lady accepted Christ as her Savior. Two weeks later, the lady died. And I remember going over to see Miss Pat Timmons that day, and, and uh, after all of it was done, and, and they were starting to make arrangements for the funeral, and, and uh, we were leaving the house, and preacher said, well, if you want me to... The lady's funeral was in El Paso, and preacher said, well, if you want us to go to El Paso and attend the funeral, we'd be glad to. She goes, preacher, she don't need a preacher anymore. She's got Jesus. Look, you may look at this man and say, oh, it was easy to convert at this point in his life. It was his only means of escape. I mean, it was easy at this point. But may I remind you where Peter was? He wasn't identifying with Christ. Out of all the disciples, there was only a handful that was there at the moment of Calvary. And every other person was there railing on Jesus and making accusations and mocking Him. (laughs) He saved others. Can He save Himself? He said He was the Son of God. And this man, not Peter, not the preacher on the day of Pentecost, this thief, And the final moments of his life chose to use his last few breaths to say this, Friend, do you not fear God seeing that you're in the same condemnation? And he looks at Jesus and says, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And I'm telling you today, friend, I don't care how long you put it off. And I don't care how long you may have said, Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. What is man's life but a vapor, the Bible says. You don't know whether you're like this man on the cross counting your final few breaths down. You just do not know. But friend, while you're alive, it's... It's never too late to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. We learn several things at the foot of the cross. At the right side of the cross, we learn that there is no person too bad. At the foot of the cross, we learn that there is no point in life that is too late. At the the right side of the cross, we learn that there is no promise more comforting. Look at this, the Bible says this, and I want you to notice with me in verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, verily, and the Bible means truly. Truly, or verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want you to first of all notice with me this morning. This man earned a home with a lot of help. (laughs) What did this guy have to offer Jesus? This man's life had been riddled with bad. That's why he's on the cross. And now, and there's this thought in Christianity today that once we're saved, we start earning it. (laughs) No, you never earned it. You never will earn it. We really aren't that much different than this man. When we were saved, we had done nothing for it and we could do nothing for it. But this man had nothing to offer Jesus. 
This man didn't even have the opportunity to follow in believers' baptism. This man hung on the cross and looked Jesus in the eyes and said, Jesus, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Well, Jesus could have thought, well, you're never going to win a single soul for me. You know, you're never going to make one bus kid's day. You're never going to go out and feed anybody. You're never going to give to the poor. You're not going to do a single thing for me. So why should I save you? This man says, Lord, remember me. What does Jesus say? Today. He had nothing to offer, and yet Jesus still loved him. The only way that this man gained entrance into heaven was with a lot of help from Jesus. One day a man died and went to heaven and stood at the pearly gates there, and there Peter was. And I love how we make Peter the usher there in heaven, the, the book collector, whatever. It works for the joke, I guess. And there Peter is, and it stinks to be Peter because he's the only one with a real job up there. You know, everybody else is just getting to praise God and sing hallelujah to, and Jesus over, or, or Peter's over there checking books, checking names. It stinks to be that guy. But anyway, Peter there at the pearly gates, this man dies and gets to sees him there, and, and uh, Peter says, look, man, heaven is getting really crowded, so we've had to revert to a point system, so you tell me what you've done in life that was good, and, uh, and then I will give you points according to those things that you did, and what's going to happen is if you get a hundred on the test, you can come into heaven. Well, the man says, okay, well, <laughs> that's for you guys, so I, I gave to the poor religiously, I gave to the poor often, so there Peter writes down three points. The man says, okay, well, I tithe to my local church. I, I was faithful to give to the Lord in tithes and offerings. And, and Peter marks down there two points. The man says, well, I, was, I tried going soul winning. I tried visiting. I tried being obedient in those commands. And there Peter writes down one point. The guy searching his mind for what he could otherwise tell Peter that he had done. And he says, well, I... I I never cussed. I was pretty good at... I, I never cussed. And there Peter writes down half a point. The man becoming exceedingly discouraged looks at Peter and says, Man, at this rate, it's only by the grace of God I'm going to get into heaven. And Peter says, huh, Come on in. Look, we Christians get so high and holy and we think we're something almost like God got lucky when He got us. Look, you start counting all the works that you do, they would amount to a whole lot of nothing. You would never even come close to gaining entrance into heaven. And yet this man on the cross didn't have anything to offer, didn't have anything to give, and Jesus says, oh my friend, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Bible puts it like this. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved, and that not of yourselves. Uh, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if God allowed one person into heaven that got in by his works, it would be hard to live with that fella. He'd be walking around, well, I'm the only one that got in here by my works. That's not how it works, because we're so boastful and prideful, we would be that person. 
The Bible says that every person in heaven, every man that's ever lived, I don't care if your name's Paul, I don't care if your name's John the Baptist, I don't care if your name's uh, Jennifer, whatever, I don't care what your name is. The only way that you'll gain entrance into heaven is by standing at those pearly gates and say, by the grace of God alone will I enter into heaven. And then you'll be able to go in. This man only achieved heaven by a lot of help. But finally, he has a home with him. Look, verse number 43. And this is so beautiful. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be, notice this, with me. We could talk about paradise all day long. But paradise wouldn't be paradise without the Son of God there. The amazing part of this verse is not that this man got to go to paradise. The amazing part of this verse is that he got to go with Jesus. Could you imagine the moment when this man did breathe his final breath? And there he was on the cross. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was so beaten and so bruised that he was unrecognizable by a man. And I believe that he went through more torture than any man in history. So this man on the right side and this man on the left side did not face the extreme torment and punishment that Jesus faced there in the middle. But either way, this man in pain, in, 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 in absolute bondage of pain... There he stands on the cross, trying to get, fight for every breath, fighting, pulling himself up, and he finally gives his last one. Could you imagine the moment when he goes from being hung on a cross to walking side by side with Jesus in heaven? You ever go, with some, go somewhere with somebody who is far more important than you? I've had the opportunity to like, go to the Colonial Golf Tournament, and there are people that actually had real jobs, you know, like not preacher jobs, but like real jobs, and, and they actually uh, get perks for their jobs, not like preacher jobs, but actually real perks. And there they are. And I remember going one day with this guy, and we got to go up because they were important, and they worked, and they, they were special, and... I got to ride their coattails and we went up into this super exclusive special area and they make buffets for you to come in. Now you could eat on that golf course, but you have to go pay an arm and a leg for it. But up there, they're giving away food for free. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm glad I got friends in high places. Because otherwise, I'd be down there where the poor folk eating hot dogs... And here I am eating this highfalutin stuff that's on burners all day long. I was loving life. You ever go somewhere with somebody more important than you? When I was uh, uh, working at uh, a Cutting Horse Farm there, nobody knew me, okay? Uh, they knew me as the redheaded guy that scooped the dupe all day long, right? <laughs> dupe is a biblical thing. Uh, Paul refers to it as dung, so it's, it's in the Bible. Don't worry about it. I was just the guy there that didn't do that much. But when I was with Jimmy, people knew me. See, Jimmy was my boss. Jimmy had given his life to training cutting horses. Jimmy was there and guys gravitated to Jimmy. Jimmy's a funny guy. He would make jokes and these old cowboys sit around laughing at Jimmy. And, but when, when I was with Jimmy, I was somebody special. 
They would ask me my name. Jimmy would introduce me to them. Otherwise, I was just the kid off in the corner. But when I was with Jimmy, I was somebody special. Sometimes I go with Dad to these preacher meetings and like a fellowship. And, and Dad's been preaching now 50-something years. Uh, uh, he, everybody knows him. I don't know if it's because he's a good preacher or because his last name's super weird. But either way, people know him. And I go to these preacher meetings and I promise you, if I were to go by myself, there wouldn't be a single person come up and shake my hand. They'd look at me and they'd be praying for me to get saved. But with, I'm, when I'm with Dad, people ask me my name. People look me in the eye and shake my hand. You know why? Because I'm with Dad. One day every man that's saved and blood-bought will enter heaven. And you will not be special because of what you've done on this earth. Oh, there are a lot of men in this world that have done far exceeding more than I will ever do. But when we get all up there, we're all on the same plane. And the only reason that I will have any value up there it's because I'll be with Him. We learn many things at Calvary, but one thing we learn is there is nothing more comforting than knowing when you die, you're going to be with Jesus. You think Jesus is good now? Wait till you get up there with Him. You think Jesus is beautiful in His Word? Wait till you look in the Word of God in His face. We learn many things, but we learn this. That you do not have to doubt where you're going to spend eternity. See, there were two men on Calvary that day, not Jesus. There was two thieves, both in the same condemnation, both deserving of death and both deserving of hell. But only one of them was wise enough to say, Jesus, remember me. Which side of the cross are you on this morning? Because it matters. It matters.